Okay, we are back, uh, Video Game Academy, to talk about the Hex some more. We're almost halfway through, unless there's more that I don't know about this game, which is entirely possible. Um, so I'm welcoming back uh, Ben and Steve, and Sarah's here too. How are you guys all doing? Doing well. Mm-hmm. Good, good. And um, just to start off this time, there's something I noticed that I hadn't noticed before. I don't know whether it's a change or I just wasn't observant, but so when you like load this game up, it starts with the um, the six pint in uh, and some lightning flashing and rain falling and stuff is flying past, right? What are some of the yes. things you guys have seen fly past at, at this point in the game? Um, there are a few, like, they're mostly assets that you see sprinkled throughout the game. So you like one of the ones that I've seen a couple of times at this point is the, the half of a wanted poster um, the, uh -huh. in the kitchen. Um, yeah. I th think the radio flies past every now and again, like it's, it's on random. So you really, you know, you never know what you're going to get. Um, okay. Any, anything exciting on your end? I so I saw the first time I loaded it up. I feel like I saw the um, the statue go past a bunch of times. Oh, okay. Um, and lately I've been seeing the uh, like a, a Gatling gun or something. Uh, okay. That's the popular one right now. How about you, Steve? Um. Well, I played ahead, so I don't know <laughs> what I was like seeing coming across the screen before, like you know, tonight's assignment. Um, uh -huh. But the one thing I notice is that the lights above the six pint yeah. and if you roll your if you put your cursor over it, they light up. Oh. <laughs> I hadn't done that, but I did see there's a, a silhouetted figure stairs yes. on a floor that we have not reached yet, I believe. Um mm -hmm. it's it looks kind of like some sort of I don't know, like Colonel Sanders or something. Like, <laughs> something like that. with the hats. Yeah, old little old man or lady, maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's somebody else in this place, and yeah, there's this stuff flying by. What looks like a pokeball keeps going past. Um, okay. Uh, which, um, but yeah. Anyway, so yes, I just I've keep definitely moving. also seen the rubber duck as well, <laughs> like the rubber duck that you saw in the hats when Sato's playing games with you uh, as Bryce. Like that one definitely flies by from time to time. And, you know, I try to click them, and I didn't notice that the lights will turn on if you, you scroll over those with the cursor. So I just, I feel like it's just emblematic of, like, on the one hand, the the randomness, the weirdness of this game, but also, like, the attention to detail, the way that you will always find more stuff the more you look, um, which can be sort of madness-inducing, I think, at a certain point. And, and maybe that's, you know, what it feels like to try to, to program a game and try to catch everything, right? Uh, there's always gonna be stuff that escapes, and so so this time we are uh, we've we switch over from Bryce to his companion at the bar, Chandrell, uh, who was in the fighting game with him. Now uh, is doing her own thing, uh, whatever that is. She's an interesting uh, character. Uh, she's the only female character so far, right? And she's got um, like a tattoo of something on her arm that's pretty prominent and yet somehow hard to tell what it is. It looks kind of like the mystical eye symbol. Um, it looks kind of like the hex symbol, although it's not really either one of those. Um, you guys have like impressions of Sandrell as a just a character design? I get the sense that um, like the she obviously comes off as a sorcerer or an enchantress, like even from the first time you meet her with her little tiara and the, the tattoo and the purple dress, like it, she's she's channeling a lot of those archetypes. Um, but it, she's also got like the pointy ears, which on the one hand you associate with like Tolkienian elves, but on the other hand, there's a very clear reference to Zelda there, um, especially with how clearly like the Legends game is pulling from both Zelda and Final Fantasy tropes. Um, so, you know, that's sort of the first thing that springs to mind. Like, that's the association that I have. Like, she, she's channeling Zelda is kind of where I'm coming at. Like, she wears a dress that's slightly darker, but generally the same sort of cut and make. 
Um, the character mm-hmm. design seems kind of similar, but there's there's an edge to her. Like she never smiles um, until the very end of this session. Um, she is very serious and almost mean about it, even in the interactions that the other characters have had with her up to this point. Like every time you talk to her, she tends to be pretty short with you. Um, so much like the other characters that we've interacted with, it seems like there's a chip on her shoulder, probably from something in her past. Yeah, I I did not think of the pointy ears, um, but I did notice she's called the hero of time or the sorcerer mm-hmm. of time or something within the Legends game. Yeah, yeah. What is it that you're? What What is the fetch quest you're on this time? I know you you have to go to the basement. I don't really remember why. Um, the barkeep needs something from downstairs, or no? The the barkeep is relatively uninvolved in this particular adventure. Um, like. Chandrell is the paying customer, the one who has, like, the second room, and she's the one who had the pie that Bryce made. Um, Um, And she specifically asks about the key that Bryce baked into the pie. Like, she wasn't aware that there was some sort of elaborate pie ruse involved. Um, (laughs) But when she talks to the barkeep, he doesn't seem to know what she's talking about. Like, she he thinks that she's talking about a key lime pie. And she's like, no, I thought it was a strawberry pie. And they're sort of like having this sort of, you know, comedic disconnect. Where, yeah, like... Starting. Yeah. Um, so it seems like the barkeep isn't terribly involved, or if he is, he's playing dumb. But it's clear that she had her own agenda. Because um, the key <laughs> is to that room in the basement where she, you know, starts playing with liquids and you play that kind of little pipe thing. Um, and it turns out that that's how we're sucking Valamir out of her head. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's it's unclear, like, who she's made the plans with or how she's arranged for this particular operation, for lack of a better term. But apparently, like, that's what she's here for. That's why she came to the Pint Inn. And this is not a barkeep sending her on a mission like we have with Super Weasel Kid or Bryce. This is, she's there and she's using the barkeep to get her own way. Right on. Now, there's, yeah, there's some liquids. Um, They seem to have come from her sort of a a world, right? They're like Mm -hmm. dragon's blood or, or, you know, stuff like that. I I don't remember. Dragon tears, sphinx milk. Nasty stuff. Oh, the Sphinx milk. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think each of the the like regions, the liquids, actually comes from one of the bosses that you fight in, through the Legend oh, game. Oh, like the dragon's sorry. blood from the dragon, the Sphinx milk from the Sphinx, and then the Kraken tears. Those are the three, you know, big enemies. Um, even though you don't end up fighting the Kraken. Indeed, and I was really glad that the Kraken made it into the game though i thought that was a nice conclusion yeah um so there's there's a lot of kind of earthboundy stuff actually um you ride a bike in this portion mm-hmm. um although it's like a motorbike so it's kind of different um you also uh face somebody who's who's turned blue right it's the same guy mm-hmm. from rice's game um he's back yep that blue-faced man. Um, in Earthbound, that's representative of people who have been possessed by Gigas in some way, or, or sort of the evil of, within them has come out uh, because of Gigas's influence. Um, but Bry- rather, this guy, I guess we learned his name is Irving. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's something else entirely, right? He's a force of, of game works itself. Uh, so yeah, in a way he is the, um, the final boss in this section, and I I failed to beat him. I lost. Or oh, I was not able oh. to take him out. Yeah. Um. He he pulled me back with the crook though. Like you can't lose that fight. I guess he he'll just like oh, keep okay. in it. Yeah. Um. I was I was too like confused by the mixture of right fighting. when you suddenly jump from the turn base to the fighting game. And yeah, yeah, and. There's a lot of stuff about the um, the the actual game that we should talk about, but um, there's also another couple of soda machines that appear here. Turn, <laughs> let's see. We learn about the janitor in the one upstairs. 
Um, mm -hmm. I opened the one on the, the ground floor this time, uh, but I couldn't tell you what I found in there. I, I feel like I was disappointed. I didn't feel like I found much, but I might just not understand what I found. Can you guys remind yeah. me what's in that one? That's that's the one where it's Lionel talking about the, the Groomba, I want to say. Um, like, Lionel made a Groomba. Uh, Lionel, like, taught it to to read or something. I forget the exact poem. Um, Steve, do you remember it? Because it's totally blanking. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember the, the poem. I mean, I think you hit uh, you know, the key notes of it. But yeah, I mean, I think yeah. you're not going to be able to do anything in there until the last character. Um, yeah, because there's like a light switch there. Um, and then there's kind of like a, I don't know if it's like a fuse box or something, but mm -hmm. uh, you can't, there's like a portal in there and you can't power it on um, until later in the game. Yep. I thought so. I thought there was something with the fuses because you actually do have to use those those light switches and things down in the basement. Um, mm -hmm. You also have to bring the, uh, the headlamp. That's the other thing that yeah. is important here, and that's when you notice that there is something possessing Chandrel, right? Because it like yeah. pops out and talks to you at that point when you get the headlamp. Yeah, um, you get the little purple voice, and her eyes go purple. <laughs> yeah. So that was one of the like most distinctly creepy things I feel like so far in the game. Um, and, uh, and yeah, she does seem to have some kind of plan, I guess. And it turns out that the, um, the sword in that room is not hers, but Lazarus's of all people. Mm -hmm. so I feel like Steve, your, Im your impression of Lazarus was uh, borne out here that um, it turns out he's actually in this game first before becoming the space Marine. He's like a sword wielder. Um, he looks kind of like Cyan actually from, Fantasy six, yeah, so. he does. <laughs> um, and so, so there's all this kind of like misdirection, you know, going on, like who the sword belongs to, um, whether Chandrel is in control or not, or possessed or what, um, you know, who's planned the the key and the pie. Uh, and I feel like yet another thing is legible in that little paper about the hex. I feel like she reads it and and reads something different than either of the other two have read so far, like something about. Like, you know, her being brought there to do something, being being asked to do something. I don't remember exactly, but and the mm -hmm. uh, the painting there is of yes. these little Moogle type guys, and she's like, oh, you know, poor poor little guys, uh, or says something kind of. Yeah, I hope he I hope he got out all right. I think something like that. Like I hope you yeah. I hope you turned out well enough. And then of course we see the story behind that, like pretty early yeah. on, for that matter. Um, right. Although it sort of depends on what order you, you go in, I guess. Um, the weird thing about this game, so like, yeah, you have to do this like kind of elaborate little sequence of turnings and and switches and things to um, to activate the operating table. You lay down on it with your head in this little, you know, um, hairstylist thing or you know, mad scientist thing or whatever, and and that's what triggers this this game. Um, the, the release day of secrets uh, of Legendaria. Um, and you wake up in a clearing. The little Moogle dude comes over, um, says, tee-hee, you know, silly one, you, you forgot, you, you must have lost your memory. Um, and you, as the player, you're going to put in a name, uh, but you can't, right? Like, no matter what you put, she says her name's Chandrel. She hasn't lost her memory. She knows exactly what's going on. Um, and... So the first thing, I don't know, what did, what did you guys do first when you got control of, of Chandrel at this point? I immediately like started running into trees trying to find a way through because I, yes. you know, we were all trained to break the game at this point. And you can, in fact, like navigate up past the trees into a clearing that yes. is useless. And like, if you go off of it, the game is like snaps you back to whatever real screen there was. Um, so it is right. unproductive at this point, but um, yeah, like you should definitely be looking for holes in the scenery and gaps. Like it's obvious that there are lots of them. Um, some that the game points you to that are exploits to like sneak through whole sections of the game, like the giant cobalt uh, grind. Um, but others are less obvious and are sort of just there to be exploited if you can find them um right and 
that's what I did too. So I immediately tried to go through the trees where the little dude came from instead of following him down the path like he tells mm -hmm. you to. This reminded me very strongly of one of the, the coolest things about Earthbound is the, the treehouse in Onet. Um, it's like mm -hmm. so well hidden, right? Like, I feel like I played that game at least a few times through before realizing you could actually go into the treehouse. Uh, it's hidden in the trees. Um, you, you just have to like notice that there's, there's actually a way through what looks like it's just the scenery that tells you where you can't go in the game. Um, so I, I loved this part. Um, mm -hmm. I want to believe that that's a quote of that, that place in, in Onet from Earthbound. But, uh, but yeah, instead of finding a cool treehouse, you just find an empty area. If you go north of there, you find Carla, uh, her computer, um, mm -hmm. or some computer like labeled Carla. And if you try to click it, it does this sort of like um, little glitch sound thing. Um, now, I suspect there's a way to actually make that work for you at some point, but I couldn't. I couldn't figure it out. So, anyway. there is. It's well hidden though. <laughs> Uh, so we'll, that, that's one of the things we'll have to talk about on day seven of our hex discussion, I think. Um, okay, so we'll come back to the Carla computer in Legends. Yeah, she's also got a bunch of messages though throughout this this world. Um, yes, she says, you know she says like you know if you go too far over to the west, I guess like you know some intern was programming this and and messed it up. Um, yep. She does tell you like grind over this way, or you can just skip to the boss this way. <laughs> yep. What? Um, and the thing is, Sean Bell seems to know about this, and and so does Lazarus. Um, yes. Both of them seem to know they're within a dumb, poorly made game, <laughs> and they want to. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and some of the non-playable playable characters seem to be, you know, sort of broken also, in, in sort of the way that the backgrounds are broken. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, eventually. I don't. I don't think I followed the Moogle until after I killed the dragon. Um, I'm gonna keep calling him a Moogle. I don't know what he's supposed to be, but um, that's fair. Yeah. Um, isn't isn't the dragon sort of like a sad fight also? Like, it's like, kind of goofy. Like his voice is silly, and he's just he's whiny. Um, that's always the sense I get from him. Like he's like, what What are you doing here? Like. What I don't break into your house and take your stuff. Like he's, I mean, he's a dragon. Like he's, of course, we're coming in and taking your stuff. That's that's what dragons are all about. They sit in the place and they accumulate crap, and heroes come and take all their stuff. Like the, what, what were you really expecting? And he gets very grumpy about it. Um, and at one point, he thinks it's unfair, and he's like, "Guys, I need a second opinion on this." And he like summons little minion. It's yeah. it's very silly. <laughs> The kobolds are a thing from magic, also, right? Like that's is that where he's pulling kobolds from from the old magic cards? Um, I think that's from D and D before it was ooh, magic. Yeah. So, so yeah, th this is they are a standard like weak creature, uh, yeah. dating back to D and D and possibly and likely earlier, since D and D is undoubtedly pulling them from somewhere. Uh, yeah, some old, you know, weird tales, like yep. journal from back in the day, yeah. yeah. But anyway, I mean, it, it strongly smells of, like, hanging out in your friend's basement playing, um, you know, tabletop RPGs or, or, or magic cards or something like that, right? It's like, it's very much that that aesthetic. Um, the kobolds are called sweaty, uh, which I love. Yes. <laughs> and, and the little, like... The little bits of, of description that you get when you meet them. Like, if you find a kobold in a slime, it tells you that they're friends. Or, you know, yeah. if you find just the one kobold alone, he's just the one kobold alone. Um, oh. Like, it, it gives you this sort of flavor to it, but it's still... It comes off as uncomfortable, like, in most cases. Like, it's informal and kind of just janky in that sense as well. Um, yeah. Just like you know, you're you're exploring, looking for hacks, and cheating through tutorial sections, and totally skipping whole areas if you want to. Um, here, you know, even in the way that the game is designed, there there's a certain sort of indifference to polish here. Um, like nobody was terribly committed to you know upholding the illusion that this game was supposed to provide. Yeah, yeah, and it's very derivative, right? It's not like a particularly original take on on these these 
tropes ah. and things. And except, so, except, you know, so you've got the dragon with a certain amount of personality. You've also got, of course, the um, breaking in of like Twitch commenters or, or live stream YouTube commenters that, that pops in from time to time. Um, like if you get a critical hit, right? They all like go crazy over there on the right side of the screen. <laughs> like, right, oh. right. Yeah. Get out of the kitchen. Oh. <laughs> I, so I don't know if these are like real things that people say on when they watch, you know, a streamer. Like I've never really dipped a toe into that world. So um, I just it's, know that it exists, I guess. Uh, if anything, I suspect, like I, I have not spent a whole heck of a lot of time to see, watching streaming, but I have seen enough to know that this is not necessarily normal. Like, it's a little dumber than normal. Um, you know, a lot of repetitive stuff, a lot of, you know, the same emojis over and over and over again. Like, it, it seems to be a, a solid parody or satire of the interactions that you see on a live stream of this sort. Um, but again, it's important that this is release day of our our game, because, you know, this is this is a promotional move. Like, this is... This is the day one developers like streaming the the footage from the game, and of course, Chandrell is out to ruin it. Um, yes, she is tanking the release quite intentionally, as we see at the end. Um, but it's also kind of funny to see how how the the sort of commenters interact. Like in in some parts, it's more crucial than others. Obviously, like you beat guys, and they're they're all like excited about beating up people or you know, you get your critical hits, and they get excited about that. Uh, but then yeah. when you fight the Sphinx, they actually yes. take a rather, you know, direct role. And so far as you've got, like, oh, what's the what's the one guy's name? Bandito. Bandito! Uh, yeah. Yeah. Free Bandito! Free Bandito! <laughs> <laughs> um, and Bandito's giving you the answers to puzzles. Uh, yeah. Like what did, you're trying to find the passcode to get past that one gate, and Bandito's like it's question mark and an upside down triangle, and then and and you <laughs> plug it in and it works. And he's like, yeah, I was watching somebody else live stream this a couple days ago. <laughs> That's right. Um, and then you are in the the big boss fight with the Sphinx, where she's asking you questions, um, and Bandito starts just giving away the answers, and the mods start yelling at him. Like, this is not a spoiler channel. If you keep spoiling it, you will be banned. Um, and then they do. They ban him after, like, three or four answers that he gives away. Um, but, but he shows up again for, for the last question. And it was, like, he's, he's created a new account, and his name is something like Bandito 8 fu Mods. Exactly, yeah. Um, like, Thinking it's making him yeah, he's deliberately attacking the moderators. He's deliberately rejecting the rules of of the of the channel. Um, and on the one hand, you know, you need him to get by. Like Chandrell presumably would know the answers because she's done this a billion times, but you, the player, do not. Um, mm -hmm. So instead, you have to rely on Bendito's comment comments. You have to rely on him cheating your way through the game. Because um, if you get wrong answers, the thing beats you up. Um, she is not nice about it, and you don't have the option of just fighting her. Um, and some of the questions are, there's just no way to know the answer at this point. Right. Um, not with what you've seen, anyway. There's, yeah, there's, like, references to things within the game, um, kind of like a Monty Python thing about the, you know, the swallows, or the African <laughs> European, right? Um, it's also kind of a... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like a take on the Sphinx, which is you know, famously asking a question to which the answer is man, right? Like hum human. Right, yeah. Uh, but also um, is is famously sort of like impossible to get past or, or something like that, right? It's it's mm -hmm. like uh, a kind of image of fate or, or destiny or the way in which like Oedipus, right, is... Um, is put out by his uh, parents to try to avoid a destiny, uh, but that's what brings it about in the end. And and he famously mm. like becomes famous for uh, besting the Sphinx, right? That's that's yep. crossing the line. And so yeah, succumbing to his destiny at the end. And then sure uh, enough, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of that sort of like um, Groundhog Day, uh, 
inescapability sort of layered on there. Um, but then you see you see Bandito can easily get around it, right? There, there's like, and the player too, right? You're finding all these ways in which the game is porous to uh, to to sort of permit you to to break through. Um, and I'm I'm also struck by the fact that the Sphinx it seems like she's running out of questions halfway through. Like <laughs> you get through the classic Sphinx questions, like you know what walks on four legs in the morning and two legs in the day and three legs at night. And that one's man, sure. But you know the last question she asks is, "What is my middle name?" And uh, like I can't help but think of like Bilbo Baggins, you know, <laughs> in the riddle game with Gollum. Like, what have I got in my pocket? And Gollum's like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> um, like, yeah. it's, it's a question, you know, pulled out of nowhere off the top of your head because you don't know what to ask at this point, and here you are in this challenge. Um, like the dragon, the Sphinx is kind of helpless before this crazy power that you were wielding. Um, you know, by accessing Valamir's tome and, and you know cheating your way through the game, you're you're unstoppable. Um, you have more power than you're supposed to have, and the Sphinx is like desperately reaching for questions here to try and stump you, um, despite your advantages. Right, right. Now, the Valamir thing. So that. It pops in at various points as you're exploring this world. Um, Valmir himself is like this little sort of purple cloud uh, attached to a, a sigil, uh, like a you know pentagram written on the floor. Um, and it seems like yeah, you are you are working with or for uh, Valmir to mess up the game on its release day. Um, and yeah, so I noticed. I guess probably in the dragon fight that I had those items. If you use one of the tomes, it it powers you up. And I think if you quickly like choose one of your attacks, does it do like some kind of extra thing during that time? I don't know. I couldn't. Well, it's it's a, yeah. Like I feel like congratulations on bypassing the tutorial, but that scene is kind of fun to watch and is very much sort of the guided experience. Oh. Uh, so, like, when you're fighting the tutorial Moogle, um, and he, like, initially you, you're talking to him and he's teaching you, like, here are your three spells, and they're, like, cutesy spells. Like, one of them is a little, like, storm cloud that generates ice, and it, like, makes you kind of cold, and it does, like, yes, five yes. damage. Um, or you've got, like, it's a, it doesn't do much damage, but it's really pretty to look at, like... So the Moogle is like, hey, you know, try using your spells on me. And each of the spells is like five damage, seven damage, four damage. Um, and then after each hit, he restores ten life. Um, so, you know, there's no way to beat him. He's just the tutorial guy. Like, he'll just let you go when he's ready. Um, so after you exhaust all of your magic, he gives you a magic potion. He's like, hey, go to your inventory and use your magic potion. And there's the tome. Ah. Uh, um, okay. So, you know, skipping that part, again, good for you. You have you have properly been trained by Daniel Mullins to seek backdoor no. through his game. Um, I did go back and kill the Moogle, though. Don't don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As you must. Because um, at a certain point, right, I think, you know, every time that Valamir appears, it resets you back at the start. And I think if you, like, walk through certain doors and stuff, it'll reset you back at the start also. Um, mm -hmm. So you keep having to see this Moogle over and over until you do follow him, um, go through his tutorial or whatever, or, or just you know just kill him um, yeah. straight out. And and when he dies, it has the kind of Pony Island uh, text block thing going on the yeah. um, the binary, uh, the red, and that noise, of course, you know that that. Yep. The angry noise, yeah. So, so that's not supposed to happen, and and I feel like, um, yeah, I felt I felt kind of bad doing it, even though it like was completely. And she she even says like I'm not the only one who's like completely fed up with this happening over and over, right? Like, yeah, I'm not a bad person for doing this. Um, but at the yeah. same time, you'll notice that she feels a lot of guilt over it. Yeah. Um, like between the fact that you know after you after you kill this Moogle you find his kid, like the little purple Moogle, standing around like, I'm standing here waiting for my dad to come back. Ugh, and yeah. Chandrell is like, you might want to just go home. 
And the kid's <laughs> like, no, dad told me to wait here. And she's like, no, that's not how this is going to go. Um, yeah. And you see, you, you know, the painting of the three Moogles, the family, is in your hotel room, which that's is right. kind of a haunting reminder of Chandrell's culpability in this case. Um, and, you know, when you look at that painting, she says, like, I really hope he turned out all right, referring to the kid, you would presume. Like, having destroyed that family, being personally responsible for killing his father as a part of her grand master plan to escape from this franchise that she's afraid of, you know, at what cost? Um like Chandrell, as much as she, you know, as much as she insists, like, no, we have to do this. Yes, we have to, we have to wreck this game. We have to tank this launch. We can't do Secrets of Legendaria like fifteen. I, I can't stand it. You know, maybe this was, maybe that isn't her call to make. Who is she to go around destroying NPCs' lives for the sake of her? You know refusal to be bored um, or whatever it is that she's trying to accomplish. No, I, I feel like there's definitely both sides of that have some compelling arguments to be made. Um, mm -hmm. And I think I think at this point we don't know enough really about the like the status of these beings, I, I think, to like really judge fairly. Um, well, the one yeah. hint we get, like at the very end of this whole section, when she when she's talking to to the blue guy, the GameWorks guy, Irving, um, at his office, and you know he's got this office for like criminal player characters, <laughs> yeah. um, of which Chandrell apparently now is one now that she's tanked the release. Um, she, you know, he's he's delivering the law. It's time to punish people. Um, and he gives Lazarus his, you know, doom. He is going to be stuck in the vicious galaxy game, which apparently, as everyone knows, is vicious. Um, nobody likes that franchise. It's apparently way too violent. Um, but Chandrell, you know, he says, I bet you were planning to uh, just get, like, thrown in the void. And Chandrell's like, yeah, I'm not afraid of the void anymore. That sounds way better than you know, repeatedly living through all these games she's been forced to dwell in. Um, yeah. And this is where Irving says, eh, it's not going to be that easy this time. This is where she is punished by having Valamir as a permanent companion um, yes. stuck in, in her head. Um, which sort of Sartrean in that hell is other people kind of way. Like, imagine that you can't even, you know, be alone in your thoughts. And she, so that seems to be her, her, we do find this out at the end, right? That's her plan mm -hmm. with the basement laboratory, um, is, is extracting and imprisoning, uh, this, this Valamir fart cloud, uh, in his little <laughs> chamber there. Um, yeah, that's one of my favorite parts about Valamir. Like, he's yeah. presented as the big bad enemy, like the Ganondorf or your, you know, Sephiroth and in the Final Fantasy or Legend Zelda franchise. And yet he's like, you meet him for the first time and he's got like five o'clock shadow for a cloud. And he's yeah. like farting all the time. And he's just, he's gross. Like yeah. he's, he's not scary. He's just gross and weird. And like Chandrell clearly doesn't think much of him either, but it just makes it that much more horrible when he's stuck in her head. Like you really feel like, you know, now she is sharing headspace quite literally with someone who is just not at all someone you want to spend time with. Yeah, I mean, he calls her like girl all the time, mm -hmm. and it's kind of He's zesty, creepy. Creepy. I mean, yeah, I feel like it's definitely a commentary on like, you know, girl gamers, girl programmers, always having that kind of nagging, pushy vaguely gross voice of, of the male, you know, person there, um, always kind of leering at them uh, and, you know, making them into this kind of guilty person if they, like, say, step back, you know, like they they, yeah. they sort of feel bad for um, against these kind of strictures, right? Um, because it makes them out to be, like, the bad person, the mean person, the 
cold. We're all having fun, and you're not letting us enjoy ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah. So that dynamic, I feel like, is is there. Um, and I, of all the characters so far, I think I like Chandrel the best. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. that's a weird thing to say, but um, she's kind of she's the most purposeful. Like she sort of yeah. knows what she's doing, and she's the most capable. Uh, she's really apparently you know powerful enough to 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 accomplish it Mm -hmm. and yeah you mentioned she does smile at the very end right um yeah there is a warmth to her that just hasn't there hasn't been an outlet for it i guess um it's been it's been kind of tamped down uh yeah if if you talk to lazarus after you get rid of uh valamir they have a really interesting exchange where uh where she she says to Lazarus, I'm glad to see that you escaped your punishment, like what Irving forced upon you. Like he's made it out of vicious galaxy. And Lazarus is like, I'm not sure I would say that. And she mm-hmm. said, Well what I was doing, I was doing the same thing. I was escaping my punishment. And he's like, I hope it's that simple. Um, Interesting. And the suggestion yeah. very much is like there's more to it than this. I mean he seems he seems like the likeliest culprit for the as yet uncommitted murder. He's got the sword. Um, mm. He's on the wanted poster, uh, or apparently looks like he is. Um, yep. Although, so she and he both do like blood magic in their yeah. in their tomeified forms. They they he gets like a really cool sword that's like shiny. Um, it looks kind of like the hex symbol off in the background of all the battles. Mm-hmm. The hex symbol back there, and to like heal each other or re- replenish uh, mana or whatever, they um, cut themselves. So there's yep. this like self harm, um, you know, self sacrificial, messed up thing going on there. Um, the the iconography is upsetting. Um, yes, there is. Are gross uh, when you, when you use those abilities. Um, yeah, so I don't want to go too far down that route, but like, there's a kind of a, a more distinct, like, psychological uh, self harm kind of commentary, perhaps built in there. Um, but that is like the closest thing to a hex that we've seen so far. It's like it's black mm-hmm. magic. It's evil, um, <laughs> evil eye and 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 behavior that uh, is effective in the world, or at least in the world of the game. So, yeah. Um, all right, all right. So, yeah, you can find some potions. You can find some loot. Um, did you guys find a way to summon Charon, the boatman, with a coin? Yes. Dang it! How do you do that? Um. So, the the coin, like when you're in the desert, if you do not go ahead and get the bugged onk, um, but in fact track down all of the thirty six onks. Um, which there are 36 of them. You can, in fact, do it, and you actually get like bonuses if you if you do it that way. Like the guy's like, "Wow, these are real onks. They smell like yeah. real onks." Yeah. Um, and then he gives you another ability, like her, your Hellfire attack gets replaced with a stronger onk spell um, that does like twice as much damage. Um, but if you explore off in the far right hand corner of the desert instead of the far left hand corner. Um, there's a bunch of like stone obelisks there, and one has a coin on it. Um, you take the coin, you bring it to the dock, and admittedly, you never see Charon, um, but you do find a raft, and the raft takes you over a little like one screen of water, and on the screen of water is another note from Carla, um, and it says something along the lines of like I spent months working on this feature and then my boss got rid of the feature out of spite um, but I'm putting it in the game anyway because screw that guy um, and then you end up on this island and you can fish like nice. there's a fishing rod just like all the old Zelda games and you can <laughs> sit there and just fish just like old Pokemon where you have to like you wait for the little splash and then you pull it up um, Crossing. Yes. Um, And then you can also fish at the dock up by the desert as well. Like anywhere that there's a dock and a bucket, you fish from then on. Um, That's delightful. 
I, yeah. I love that. I love, love, love. Because, of course, Charon is the boatman of the underworld, right? He, he ferries the souls of the dead across. Um, in, the, in the theory of it, you, you put coins on the dead body because they need to pay the boatman, right? In the mm. old, old sort of tradition. But so this is like sort of the opposite. It turns out that you, you're, you're fishing. And that's a very, you know, vivifying image, right, of, of life and, and just like simple pleasures and, and hanging out, you know, seeing what, what you catch. I, I love that. That's great. Um, good for Carla putting it in even though her boss said no and I think that that's actually one of the connections that's being made here like in the the micro and the macro level of the game like you were just talking about like uh, how Chandrell has to you know cut herself and injure herself and sacrifice herself to use the magic that she's using what seems to be depicted here is a really ugly environment for programming um, the culture that Lionel has built at his company is a toxic one. Um, mm. One where, you know, these petty political struggles are causing old friends to now turn against each other. Like, Lionel is snubbing um, Carla and refusing to include her ideas in the final game, so Carla is striking back um, by, like, including shortcuts and, you know, messing up like certain areas of the game or including the feature that she worked really hard on that got cut out of spite. Um, so, you know, there's a lot that has been said and a lot that has been written, especially recently about, you know, programming companies and game companies, especially that have abused or exploited their workers. Like the idea of crunches this time, when, like people will put in a hundred hours a week. Um, in the last weeks of the game to make sure that it ships um, in its best form. Um, and these sort of co these companies sort of build a culture where everyone is expected to do that. Like they literally like drive these people to depression, you know, physical harm. Like it's a bad situation. Um, and we're kind of seeing a glimpse of that here. Um, but what's really striking is that, like, Chandrel's whole mission is to destroy it. Like, yes. everything that was, you know, put together, all the work that was done, better to let it die. Better to, as Chandrel points out, just live in the void. Um, which is a really dark attitude to have towards this. Even though Carla's whole, you know, the thing that Carla wanted was just a fishing game. Like, something peaceful and calm chill uh. in in that in that um that sort of dark world um i feel like that might be the worst thing about it frankly is that it, it leads you to yearn for like nothingness that, yeah. that would be better than this like that's that's a really bad place to get to yeah. um yeah so that's that's i guess we'll keep an eye out for the void um but it sort of looks like if I try to picture the void, it sort of looks like whatever's in the middle of the hex symbol, that, that kind of empty space there. Um, the other hint we get is that we've been hanging out in the void for a while. Like when Irving mentions, you know, that Chandrell wants to go to the void, he's like, mm, we're not sending people to the void anymore. Not after it seemed to not be much, much of a big deal for Bryce. So... Mm. It seems like if Bryce went to the Void and ended up at the Six Pint Inn, that could be where Chandrell ended up as well. Like, our um, Six Pint Inn could very well be in the Void. Because there is another mention of this um, by the little glinty-eyed uh, character uh, that appears, <laughs> right? He, he's the one who steers the boat. Uh, through the through the fog when you're fighting with um with Irving. Uh and he says, doesn't he say like you can find me at the Six Pine Inn if you ever need me. Um I'll be there. So yeah, and sure enough he is and you, you do see him kind of creeping around um uh in the dark. Huh. So yeah, let's see. Um there's also like a Smithy. Is there is there any way to to go into the Smithy? Sorry. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah, there's a lot of secrets in this particular section. Um, if you go to the shop where yeah. where Squirrel is once again hanging out, um, right. just 
because we cannot get rid of this guy, apparently. Um, you'll notice that you can buy the spectacles, the glasses. No, if, I did not notice that. No way. Yeah, if, if Bryce picked them up in the last section, you can buy them here for 100 whatever gold schmeckles, whatever they call them. Um, and then for that matter, you can give them to the mechanic and she'll repair them for you. Um, although you don't get them back from her. You just like give them to the mechanic. Mechanic promises to repair them, and then presumably mm. she'll do that. Um, but we don't hear anything about it. But if you do buy the spectacles, then Squirrel gets a key in his shop, and if you buy the key, you can enter the blacksmith's house and Dang. discover the blacksmith very murdered in a <laughs> hexagonal um, like shaped outline of blood, like some kind of horrific, nightmarish, you know, like, occult execution has taken place. Um, just stuff. to further, like, deepen the mysteries here. Yeah, okay. Well, that's not expect. I I was not aware of that. That's new. <laughs> that's news to me. All right. Um, dang, what, what else is there going on here? So, so if you there are a few. <laughs> Find the coin, you buy the glasses, you find the dead smithy. Um, there's Charon's boat, but it just takes mm -hmm. you to a fishing island. Wow. And and you did say you can bust into Carla's computer there, her, her terminal. Yes. Uh, Although, again, that, that's a little ways down the road. We don't have sufficient information at this point. Um, I, I, wondered, I wondered if something happened, um, if you if you use the bike in a certain way, like is the bike necessary for anything or is it just a fun thing that's there to move you I, around? I think it's mostly just a fun thing. Like there might be a couple of things that you can like do or break with it. But for the most part, I think it's just to give you the ability to cross the desert and the rest of the world a little bit faster. Cause it is kind of a big overworld. Um, and it's time consuming to get from one end to the other without the help of the bike. Um, okay. But there are a couple of other little secrets, tidbits. Um, first off, Missing No. Missing No makes another appearance um, in a Daniel Mullins game. Um, the screen in the Dragon's Cave where like there's a treasure chest but there's also like lava on one half of it. I didn't even see that. I didn't okay. go through that. Yeah. yeah. If if you if you go through like the first screen past the mechanic, there's like a cobalt over to the left and then like the the game is very much indicating that you should go up, and that's where you meet Lazarus. Um, yeah. If you do go left there and you go to the lava and run up and down the side, just like Cinnabar Island, um, you fight missing now. <laughs> um, and you get a whole bunch of experience from him, and it's great. Um, so, missing now makes another appearance. Um, we also can go through the back door of the temple. Um, what? Yeah, like you can walk around behind the temple, and if you walk down in the right place, there's a door there. And you'll remember from the Six Pint Inn when Chandrell talks to Mr. Question Mark Face, um, yes. she mentions that he looks like the doppelganger enemy. Um, if you go in the back door of the temple, you find Chandrell's doppelganger enemy. Um, so cool. Yes, and you can fight it. And it is very difficult. You have to be fairly high level or be packing some pretty impressive power in order to beat it. Um, but if you do, in fact, beat it, it drops a secret item for you, the Mimic Mirror, which allows you to copy the abilities of your enemies. Whoa. Yes. <laughs> now that makes me think of Sato a little bit. Um, you know, clown, mime, mimic, I don't know. Um, yeah, the imagery is also suspiciously similar um like I, I it's not a clear one-to-one -one, but the way that the the mirror looks and the way that the the like doppelganger character looks like she's got crosses white crosses for eyes um and is otherwise all black um there's certainly something mysterious and malevolent about it but again like this is another one of those tropes like you fight dark link and zelda 2 and ocarina of time and you fight like your doppelganger in the mirror and Final Fantasy Four. Like this is a staple, so you know, of course, it's there. Um, <laughs> but some fun things that you can do with the mimic mirror 
in case you go even deeper into this particular looking glass. Um, I tried to use it against Irving in the fight right before the Kraken. Yeah. And Irving literally, like, the moves that you steal from him are literally, you can't steal my moves. Like, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> and they are not moves that are useful. Um, but also, if you use the mirror on missing no, you crash the game. <laughs> that's awesome. Yes. So that's that's the goal, right? If you If you get the game to crash, you... Break you get a special achievement, and... um, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. So interesting, interesting. And so that's that's something you can do in each of the six games. I take it is find the. the... I think I think so. Like there might be one or two that's accepted, but I'm pretty sure you can break all of them. Um, you just have to be fairly clever and sneaky, and that is honestly one of the more difficult ones. Like I think that was the last of the games that I broke because in order to be able to both beat the doppelganger without having already stolen the experience from missing no that that's a that's a tall order um hey i so like i said i love the kraken's appearance um i love the uh the way that you you get to sort of be the hero um but also you you get sort of possessed by the villain you you sort of are the villain in a way right you um you completely betray everyone in the world uh, and, yeah. and ruin it for everyone. Um, but there's also like, I don't know, there's something about Irving's appearance here um, is really, I don't know, surprising, under underwhelming in a way. Like he, he even points out like, you should have recognized me. Like, how did mm-hmm. you not know? Um, and I'm not clear, like what, what exactly is his logic here? Because um, he does, he does want to prevent you from breaking the game. Mm-hmm. But if he, if he takes you out of the game, there is no game, right? Like I don't, I don't really get. Again, I don't really get how he um, functioned, how these characters um, exist, like to what extent they are characters, to what extent they are people interchangeable like actors playing parts like what is going on with that um can you explain like what what's irving's goal the sort here? of metaphysics underlying this um yeah how's that working as, as far as i can tell like the way that irving talks about it and the way that the other characters seem to talk about it and the fact that we have at this point seen multiple characters um making the transition from one game to another like squirrel has been in all three of them so far um, Chandrel, like, was in the fighting game as one of the characters, now she's the hero of, uh, Secrets of Legend, or Legends of, uh, I forget the name, um, <laughs> Secrets of Legendaria, uh, but, um, like, we also see the, the guy who helps you out with the fishing rod, like, if you make it to Carla's Island, is Steambot Willie, um, yeah. Yeah, he also makes his second appearance. The mechanic was one of the fighters in the fighting game, and now she's back to help people with the motorcycle. Um, It seems, especially from the way that Irving talks about it, that these NPCs and player characters are actually, like, real people um, in some capacity. They have their own lives. Um, And when, you know, when Chandrel feels regret at killing the Moogle's father, it's because that Moogle has a life. Like, it could presumably go on and and do other stuff, be in other games. Um, She is making its decisions for him. Um, But we also have, like, the relationship between Chandrel and Valamir. Like, they're both punished. Um, But Irving also emphasizes that, like, while Chandrel could theoretically be put in a bunch of different games, like, again, there were supposed to be, like, 14 uh, sequels, and she was probably going to be the headliner for all of them. Um, Valamir is a niche character, he emphasizes. We're never going to find another place for him, so we're just going to stick him in your head instead. Um, So it seems that, like, all of these games that we've seen, um, first Super Weasel Kid, and then the fighting game, and now um, our sort of Zelda-Final Fantasy hybrid, um, they're reusing the same characters. Like, GameWorks, as they do, is taking shortcuts wherever possible. 
which means reusing assets, reusing characters. And since these NPCs have their own lives, they're being forced to adapt to these new playstyles, to these new, you know, genres, like Bryce going from his cooking game to his fighting game, admittedly fairly unwillingly. Um, they have lives, and those lives can be ruined. So my guess is that Irving wants to beat up Chandrell, like get the game over, um, and then, you know, maybe as bad as that is, like, at least it'll put the game back on track. Like, Chandrell losing, or the player, you know, failing to get to the end, that at least preserves the game's integrity. But if Valamir wins, and everybody sees, you know, that the the end of the game is the bad guy wins, like, everybody's turned off. They don't want to play that game. Like, this was not the catharsis I was looking for, one of the reviews says. Uh, which, you know, also speaks to the whole gamer culture there. Like, you know, you play Zelda for the power fantasy. Um, if you're working for the bad guy, that's not part of your fantasy. Like, you don't want to be part of the evil side of this fantasy world. Um, yeah. So it's not entirely clear, like, what Irving is trying to accomplish here. But it does seem pretty clear that, like, if you... Chandrell has done this a billion times. Like, that is very clear. Um, just because, you know, she wakes up and she's, like, cutting off the Moogle and she refuses to have anything to do with the usual pattern. Um, so, you know, the reason why she is trying to escape is because this is, like, like you said, Groundhog Day. A hellish repetition of the same events over and over and over again. Um, and while this doesn't seem to bother many of the NPCs, she and Lazarus have transcended that. They're going to beat this thing. They're going to break out of the loop. Um, and this is how they're going to do it. Nice. Nice. And the, um, the relationship there, I did not see coming um, Lazarus and Chandrail. And I especially was surprised, you know, again, kind of thrown when it turns out that it's not Lazarus who you play as next, but instead the post-apocalyptic old man, sort of kooky, um, who turns out is named Dust. Right? Well, we've heard Rust. We've also heard Dust. It's not entirely clear what his name is at this point. Okay. Yeah. Now, I think there's another, remember Sarsaparilla yep. pointed out here somewhere along the line. Um, yeah, if you, if you go back into the cabin of the ship um, after our mysterious savior has taken the helm, um, yeah. he puts up the sign, remember Sarsaparilla. In the right next to the barrel where he was pretty obviously hiding earlier. Yes, yes, all, all shiny looking. Um, yeah. yeah, I again, there's there's a kind of a beautiful moment there when you're fighting um, Irving and you know whatever's going on with that fight. I so if you win, does does it change things? Like, does it matter much, or, or do you still just like? In either case, that's when you pull out of the fog. and like, like, you can't actually beat Irving. Once you bring him down to a certain amount of health, he's like, wait, why is it not foggy anymore? People can see us. I can't be seen. And he, like, zips off. Yeah, he said the same thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's delightful. Like, you can see happening in the background, like, the, the thrashing of the Kraken, the clearing of the mist. Um, there's some figures. It's unclear yeah. what... They're the fighters. Remember the fighter. how you mentioned the silhouettes doing the fighting according to the music? They come back when uh, when Irving starts like fighting you hand to hand. That's sort of yeah. like your your subliminal hint that you know you're you're changing up the the game style here. Um, that I thought was awesome. That yes, uh, like kind of like the Sado battle in in a way, um, but in its own way here. Uh, and so, like, as Chandrell, you can kind of, like, get back at Irving for Bryce. Um, if you weren't able to beat him as Bryce, maybe you can beat him as Chandrell. Um, mm -hmm. With Lazarus helping, of course, you know. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, this was uh, was pretty pretty fun, pretty satisfying. Again, I am doing facepalm emojis over here at all the stuff that I miss. But, <laughs> Yes, the way it goes. Um, a lot of this stuff I did not catch until my second or third playthrough, so do not, like, don't beat yourself up about it for sure. All right, all right. 
it's purely for completion's sake that I that I want to talk about it because I know that there will in fact be more stuff to talk about later. Yeah, well there's that there's that uh soda machine that we couldn't even see until we had the headlamp. Um mm -hmm. and the headlamp does get taken by dust rust. Yes. So maybe that's a hint that it should it's gonna be him next and not Lazarus. Um mm -hmm. I also didn't make it all the way over to talk to Bryce before my my uh, you know avatar switched. So did you guys did you see what happens if you try to talk to Bryce at this point, having played Chandrell's game? I seem to remember it being fairly uneventful. Um, uh, okay. Like not nearly as interesting as the Lazarus conversation, but I don't remember it terribly terribly well. So I guess it didn't make too much of an impression. Okay. Well, you know. It all it seems very significant to me because I realized that I missed it. So I'll, yeah. I'll just go on thinking that I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Like maybe, maybe we'll get another chance. Yeah, yeah. Um now um we're going to we're gonna keep going uh into whatever kind of game it is that the that the old man is from, uh I guess. Um and the bartender says like, Oh, I forgot. Like I forgot one of my guests um so chandrell shortly before that says like i almost forgot there's going to be a murder um right there's there's kind of a lot of i don't know I, I wouldn't call the frame game as poorly designed as the others not not by a long shot but there is like this kind of oh like we need to move the story now like um, yeah it's a little bit contrived i guess but sorry. well i think that's also like it's also kind of intentional like i th i think of you know, when I was, I remember back in high school when we were reading As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner, you know, it's this grand epic journey of the Bundrens bringing their, their matriarch to rest, um, burying her in Jefferson as her last wishes commanded. And then you finally get to Jefferson and there's like half a line where it's like, well, we put her in the ground and then we went off and we did other stuff. Like, it's not the point. Um, as as much as you know, the murder is the the hook that gets you into this game. The plot that's unfolding, you know, as much as the murder seems to be the logical climax or the sort of like motivated by all of this bad blood, and there are all these intrigues and backstabbings and betrayals. Really, this is about each of the characters being themselves, sort of backstabbed and betrayed by you know the gaming industry or lionel or you know the the fans in some cases like there's a very complex relationship here between the characters and their games um and each one of them has come away unhappy like super weasel kid he had his bad reviews and got sold out to game funa and got a buggy broken game that you know tanked the franchise Bryce never wanted to be in a fighting game, and then by being in one, he was so corrupted that he couldn't even return to his old cooking origins. Chandrell is so disillusioned with the business that she literally would prefer suicide um, than continue, you know, doing the same game over and over and over again. Um, so in each case, you know, that's the feature here. That's the suffering that's going on. That's that's the the sympathy that we're sort of being encouraged to have. Um, that's more important perhaps than the murder. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I, I really um, do feel for each of the characters. Um, and it's, it's weird how, you know, you play as them and then you get the chance to go around as someone else and talk to them again. Um, mm -hmm. They're, they are and are not different. And this is something I guess Super Weasel Kid points out about like you look different. Like what happened yeah. down in the basement? You're gone a while. And there's this like again, this kind of wall that comes up. And she sort of she feels bad once she shuts him down once, but it's like sort of too late um to, mm -hmm. to make a reproachment there. It, it's very interesting, uh the, the kind of dynamic of of switching between characters, playables becoming non playables, um, and how they yeah, how they all are sort of interacting or failing to connect with one another. It's 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 really cool. Um, all right, all right. Any other uh, stuff from? I feel like yeah, the the business angle uh, is something, Steve, that you brought up after our first class. I think um, sort of you know uh, fake reviews and um, and the importance of 
getting getting buzz and all that kind of stuff um that's kind of coming yeah. here yeah yeah, I mean, I think also all the the buggy mess of Secrets of Legendaria. I mean, if this is supposed to be a release game and it's already this broken, I mean, I think it kind of points out what a lot of developers are doing these days, which is releasing buggy games and then just patching it afterwards. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I... That, no, I mean, I... Again, I think it's like the pressure of the... The whole business environment though right it's like not not really the the fault of any one company but like they're all within this kind of messed up race to get games out and um yeah they they'll, they'll find ways to do it even if it's not a finished game because uh, i guess the alternative right is like overworking their people maybe or um you know they'll, they'll pour a lot of money into something they're not sure they're gonna get uh, a return on or, or you know all this kind of stuff so the yeah the whole um ecosystem of, of of the game world i guess is kind of being critiqued here um mm -hmm. and and maybe just like the genre of rpgs or those kind of you know zelda like games to an extent right it's like it's pointing up like these are the same thing every time <laughs> like what yeah, what do you up. yeah yeah so but i i don't, I don't way, like in this game it's like a true role-playing game right because you're playing the yeah. role of six yeah. different characters indeed yes it is it is a role-playing role-playing game <laughs> what I call it, like, <laughs> yeah. like a meta role-playing game yeah something like that uh yeah all right all right so i'll, I'll be uh Playing should, should I allot as much time for this next one? I know this they're getting longer it, each time. Does that continue? This, I think this is actually the longest section that's coming up. Rust's chapter, like it, it might not be the longest. It, like Lazarus might just have him beat. Um, but yeah, I, I remember Rust as being especially long. And yeah. like wh whether it's you know actual time or it just feels that way. <laughs> um, but but yeah, dedicate as much time as you did for for Secrets of Legendaria to Rust as well. All right, all right. Well, thanks again, guys. Uh, much appreciated. Um, and yeah, take care of yourselves out there in the uh, apocalyptic uh, wasteland. Uh, Till next time. <laughs>